is a relaunch. Welcome to episode one of For Our Edification. Welcome to For Our Edification, the podcast formerly known as the Eddie Francis Podcast Show. Yes, it is a relaunch and For Our Edification is on a mission to empower through uplifting interviews and thoughtful commentaries. And at the end of the day, what I really want you to get out of this podcast, I want you to walk away with edified identity and value. That is more confidence in who you are and how you influence the people around you. And you and I can learn from a lot of great people who are going to be on the podcast and some commentaries that I really hope uh, kind of helps you put things together in your life. And you know what? It's therapeutic for me as well. The home base for the podcast is eddiefrancis.com. Uh, that's where you can connect with me on social media platforms. I just jumped on Tumblr. So you can check out the link to Tumblr at eddiefrancis.com. Or you can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Google Plus, and Facebook. So what is this identity and value thing? Well, there are two parts to it. Uh, one part comes from my experiences as a job recruiter. The other part comes from my experiences as a public relations director. And as a job recruiter, here's one thing that I found. I found that people who advance in their careers are able to do so because they find a way to articulate uh, what really makes them special. Now, if you're in the world of recruiting or human resources, then obviously you see all of this in personal branding. I love personal branding. Personal branding to me is an X factor in people being able to advance their careers, their causes, their lives, whatever it is. And the modern concept, uh, you may or may not know this, was actually uh, popularized in 1997 by a guy by the name of Tom Peters. He wrote a piece called A Brand Called You for Fast Company. And actually, you can still find that piece at fastcompany.com. And that piece is so cool because it, it really crystallizes how you can create an image for yourself or how you can, um, you know, create this presence for yourself by using the same kinds of tactics or philosophies that companies and organizations use to promote their products or their services. Sounds good, right? And a lot of people have done very well with personal branding. They have, they've, they've established these really cool looks for themselves through the clothes that they wear, the way that they walk, the way that they talk, uh, the way that they shake hands, the way they walk into a room. Of course, there's a digital digital footprint of people have uh, the the websites, the social media presences, the blogs, all of that good stuff, the podcasts, and so all of that stuff has been great. The thing that I think a lot of people, though, have really missed in personal branding is going beyond the surface here. And that's where identity and value come in for me. There's a there's a part um, of Tom Peters essay that that I love and I use this almost every single time. Uh, I talk about personal branding, whether it's in my Black Greek Success Program or uh, my Lectures to Livelihood presentation that I do on college campuses. And the part that I love is this. 
Peters wrote, quote, when you're promoting brand you, everything you do and everything you choose not to do communicates the value and character of the brand, end quote. Well, let's just take that last part and say communicates the value and identity of the brand. Right there, he is saying that while it is great to have all of these looks and the, and the digital footprint and, and the presence what's going on inside of you also counts a lot. And I think a lot of people kind of miss that inner work that needs to happen in order to project a great personal brand. And in recruiting, I have seen so many people do really well. I've interviewed so many great people who have been able to articulate who they are and how they influence the people around them, whether it's a small team, a bigger team, the organization itself. If, if you're talking about someone who is a community leader, uh, let's say an elected official or, or a community organizer, how they're able to influence that community around them, all by investing and in having a solid identity and being able to talk about their value as well. Now, the second part, when it comes to public relations, you know, I was, uh, I was a PR director at a couple of historically black colleges and universities, and uh, it, it, it was a huge learning experience, especially as someone who graduated from a predominantly white institution. And, and listen, don't get it twisted. Don't think that because I'm black and I graduated from a PWI, I, I should have instantly been able to pick up the culture at, at an HBCU because they're black, too. As a matter of fact, that is one of the mistakes that I made walking in. And I found out, uh, you know, over the course of time as I was at these institutions that there's something that you really, really need to be very real about when it comes to who you are. And one of the things that I saw and, 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 and not only was this the HBCU experience that I had as someone working at HBCUs, but I saw other types of institutions of high learning making uh, some pretty interesting decisions that I, I wasn't exactly sure was in their best interest all the time when it comes to two-year colleges. All of these institutions competing with larger, more popular, and, and more populated institutions. And a lot of times they would try to strive to be something that they're simply not. I actually was one of the ones who made the mistake of walking in and saying, hey, you know what? If you want to compete with Tulane, you have to do what Tulane does. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can only be who you are. And what I learned as a PR director um, at, at institutions that were very, very different from the popular concept that we have of a successful institution of higher learning. And just because it's popular doesn't mean that it is the way it is. It always has to get done. I learned that even when it seems that people don't really understand or care about your identity, you still have to be who you are and you have to be proud of it and being proud of it is how you make your brand richer.
So between these interviews and these commentaries that you're going to be hearing on the podcast, if there's anything uh, that you can pull out of the, the, the insight or the information uh, that can really help you enrich your identity and value, um, then doggone it, that, that's, that, that, that's all I can ask for. That, that's all I want out of this thing. So, so let's talk about this co-pilot of the For Our Edification podcast, Haleem Malik Francis, PhD, the wife. She is um, actually gonna be coming in, not only to chop it up and talk about whatever issue that, that she wants to talk about, <laughs> but she's also going to be doing a segment called Right to Bear Arms. That is W-R-I-T-E to Bear A-L-M-S. And the, uh, the segment is going to be uh, exactly what it sounds like. Her expressions uh, about uh, charitable giving. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, Halima is a charitable giving profession. She's been in higher ed. She's been in nonprofit fundraising. And, and she really, when I, when I tell you she is the mom when it comes to fundraising, she is that. But where her real passion is, is teaching people how to build sustainable communities through philanthropy. Now, philanthropy, and, and you're going to hear her talk about this throughout the podcast, is not just dollars, but also other resources such as sweat equity. And she's the founder of the Purposeful Philanthropy Foundation, uh, which is the staging ground for community outreach as well as thought leadership on charitable giving. And so I give to you the great and wonderful Halima. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. In recent years, there's been an increase in awareness um, there have also been a lot of young people who want to do good in the community. So we're starting to see an uptick in the, the number of people who set out to have a career in fundraising. So I think that's really interesting. But the way that I got into it was I was working for a nonprofit organization. And um, quite frankly, we would have meetings and we would talk about things that we we had to cut in our programming. Uh, we had to reduce different services. We had to um, consider how to cut costs. And the conversation always ended at, we don't have the resources to manage this program. All right, all right. And this is something that a lot of nonprofit agencies face. They, they face the issue of, okay, what is our critical cr programming? Um, what can we keep? How do we manage it? And do we have the resources to manage it? Um, so the knowing that this was something that was preventing us from achieving the mission of the organization, I decided to be one of the people who was responsible for getting those resources. Mm -hmm. um, that was how I felt like I could do the most good. Initially, I went into it. I went into um, the nonprofit sector, being on the programming side. I did a lot of work with volunteers. So it was a pretty seamless transition for me to get into fundraising because I was accustomed to asking people to donate their time. Mm -hmm. So asking them to donate money wasn't that much of a stretch for me. Hmm. All right. So... You've done, I mean, you haven't done this for small potatoes organizations. I mean, you, you mentioned places where 
programs are always cut. So immediately what comes to mind to me is education because mm-hmm. I've worked in higher ed before and right. you've worked in higher ed before. Mm-hmm. And in higher ed, one of the areas that you'll hear administrators and other educators talk about the arts, mm-hmm. one of the first areas to get cut in, 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 in education. But let's talk about your experience, though. I mean, you have been where? You've been to some pretty cool places. Um, I've, I've worked a broad spectrum of organizations, um, but I've tried to stay true to my personal values mm-hmm. and the things that I want to achieve in the community. Um, one of the things I care deeply, deepest about is education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've worked for um, in higher education at places like New York University. Um, I worked at Barnard College for several years, and I also worked at the law school at New York University. Um, earlier in my career, though, I worked for um, an agency called Communities and Schools of Wake County, mm-hmm. and uh, one of their program areas was really providing resources, educational resources for kids from under-resourced communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've done work in, in what's called grassroots nonprofits, so to speak, um, and I've also worked in higher education. Mm-hmm. So I've had the benefit of seeing. Uh, how fundraising, how charitable giving, how volunteerism works from a variety of perspectives. And what you do right now with the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation is very important work. Um, talk about the work that you do with TMWF. At their core, they're a social services organization. Mm-hmm. The thing that drew me to the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation was the in, the idea of empowering women and their families and making sure that ultimately families could have what they need to be healthy, um, they could have good lives, and the barriers such as things like domestic violence, um, a lack of resources in the home, or even the confidence of women believing in themselves and in their capabilities would not be something that would deter them for, from providing for their families. Um, so me being at the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation, yes, it is a, it's a, a departure from what I've typically done, and I've, I've learned a tremendous amount. Um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the experience because it's a very different organization from what I've, I've typically worked in. Okay, so let's get into the fun part. Let's talk about money. Um, <laughs> what is the biggest gift you've ever helped close? <laughs> the biggest gift I've I've ever helped close, um, and there's there's like I said, there, there's a range of gifts. Um, but the biggest was a $5 million gift. Uh, <laughs> and that didn't happen overnight. Right. It was, I'm glad that you said helped yeah, because yeah. it was a team effort. It was an right. institutional effort. It was after many, many, many years of cultivating a relationship uh, with this donor. And honestly, that process started before I even got to the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it happened uh, as a result of relationships that had been built, um, keeping the donor engaged, uh, being good stewards of the, the previous donations that they made. And it was really a, a thing of timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were seeking to increase capacity in a specific area, and that was the ask that was necessary to complete that. So we were asking the donor to be a leader mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a way in making that that really significant gift. Talk about that process because I'm I'm trying to imagine what it's like 
to be on the team that's going to ask someone for $5 million. I mean, talk about what that process was like, because that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fundraising is, is a process, and giving is a process. And um, just one of the things that I would like to see more of in the field in general is um, more research in the area of you know, how do you engage with donors? How do you get them to the point where they're ready to make that level of an investment? Um, so the process is, you know, like I mentioned, really cultivating a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, in higher ed, that may be that the person is, uh, they graduated from your institution mm-hmm. and they they want to leave a family legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, in another agency, it may be that uh, the family benefited from the services and now they're in a position to support the agency that helped them. So what I'm getting at is a lot of the process is really understanding what motivates the donor. Okay. And, okay. and that takes time. It's not something that you just wake up one day and say, we need $5 million. So will you give it to us? So you got to get to know these people. Yes. I mean, it sounds like you have to investigate them almost. Yes. You, 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 I mean, if you want to find out what motivates them, then it's like, yeah, you know, you got kids in private school. So, yes. You know. Well, it's funny that you say that um, because there are there there's a, a lot of ways to do research, and um, when you have that information, it's a fine line of of not coming off like a stalker. To <laughs> say, you know, when you say to someone, "Well, you know, I see that you just bought a house in such and such neighborhood." I've I've had Pretty people expensive, huh? <laughs> right? Pretty expensive house you got there. Exactly. I know you got it. <laughs> So it's it's really um, it's an art in that mm-hmm. way of of being gracious and graceful with the information that right, you have, right. um, because your responsibility as a nonprofit agency, your responsibility as someone who interfaces with donors and volunteers is to be respectful of their information and mm-hmm. their privacy. Right, right. So um, you have to you have to honor that. And it, it may be an unspoken a- agreement, but you do have to honor it because of the relationship. Um, so using the information that you have in a responsible way, mm-hmm. um, knowing that it's the right time for someone. So mm-hmm. uh, the process, it, it involves the relationship building. It involves timing. Um, because in the example that I mentioned, you know, someone just bought a house, they may not be in the financial position right now, or right, if they just invested right. in a new business, mm-hmm. or if they just lost a new business, they yeah. may not be in the position right now. Yeah, don't worry about that five million. Right. How about, how about five dollars? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They may not be in the position to make that level of a commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's your um, responsibility to know uh, what would be comfortable for that person. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about making a gift at that level, certainly we weren't expecting them to just write a check for $5 million right there over lunch. And I really think people expect that. Right. A lot think, of people do. I think people do. think that's the way it goes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people who can give at that capacity, they may have to do, you know, a stock transfer. They may have, um, they may have, oh uh, gosh, so I mean, so sometimes it it will be not necessarily five thousand cash, but something valued at at five right. million. I mean, exactly. Five. Yes, 
Yeah, so they have okay. to they have to liquidate some kind of assets okay. of okay. theirs. Um, it may be a retirement fund, mm-hmm. it may be an inheritance. Mm-hmm. So they may have to go through a process to get that money to you. Okay. Um, also, it may be that you need to have an agreement that they pay over a span of time. Right. So they so may need more of a pledge. Exactly, right. it's it's right. a pledge, and you you make a gift agreement with mm-hmm. them to say, um, you know, you're committed to this five million dollars, but it's payable over five years. Okay. So essentially, that's a million dollars a year and however they do it they may pay part of it in a, in a quarter it, it just depends on what's most comfortable for them so the other part is really giving them options um, and, and making it feasible for them um, of course you have to make the case for them to give and I, I tell people all the time when I make an ask to someone when I ask for them to invest or I ask for a donation it's not a surprise mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I've been talking to them. They've been um, coming to events. They've been volunteering. I've been putting them in positions where they have a personal relationship with the organization. That can take anywhere, depending on the gift size and depending mm-hmm. on the individual, that might take one event and then you make an ask at the event or after the event, mm-hmm. or that might take a few years. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you that's part of the relationship building, but that's also part of building your case for support because they've had time to really analyze and evaluate what your real needs are. Uh-huh. And also, if you, you have a specific need that isn't in alignment with what the donor actually wants to do, that's another conversation. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. a lot of times, you know, nonprofits or or colleges and universities, they may say, well, we need a new building. But the donor may want to establish a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of in a position where you can try to convince them to pay for the new building, Mm -hmm. or you can just go with what they're going to do, which may not be in the best interest of the organization. Mm -hmm. So if you have a relationship with them, you should be able to talk to them as a partner Mm -hmm. and say, I appreciate your goal of wanting to establish scholarships. But having this new facility will really achieve the goal of making sure that our students are able to have the premier resources that they need to be academically successful. So let's maybe talk about how we can package the gift or would you be willing to support multiple things? So it's it's a bit of a negotiation as well. Yeah, because you want want them to know that you still support their vision. Exactly. I mean, after all, you don't want to hack off somebody who's about to write a check. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't want to do it my way? How about I take this check and walk out of this lunch right now? Um, okay, so that's one of the biggest gifts you've ever helped close. Mm-hmm. What about, you have a favorite gift. Yes. What's your favorite? <laughs> My favorite gift actually uh, happened recently um, at an event with the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. And uh, we had our annual fundraising dinner, and I made an ask. And part of the appeal that I made was that um, there were women who support our agency who were survivors of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And in the story that I told about one of the survivors, she said she wants to give whatever she can. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't in the position to give financially, but we've given so much to her. She just wanted to give whatever she could. And for her, that was being involved with our event in some capacity. Um, so I told that story during the event, and I was the the point I wanted to make to everyone in the room was that every 
way that they could support was valued and needed and that everybody has something to give. Mm -hmm. Uh, No gift, no commitment of time, no commitment of energy is too small. So it got back to me later after the event that there was a child in the room that had made a contribution of like a dollar and 46 cents or a dollar and 86 cents. (laughs) And I was so touched. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had gifts where, you know, people told me that they wanted to leave a lasting legacy. And, you know, it may have been someone who was up in age in their nineties and they wanted this gift to reflect their, their legacy and their life and what they believed in. I've had gifts where families wanted to make a donation in honor of a loved one, but this gift, it came from a child. Yeah, it was, and it was was very genuine, very authentic. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It came from a little kid and he gave what he he? could. Yes. It was a little boy. He gave what he could. He he gave his dollar and, <laughs> and some change, and um, that was really really special to me. And I, if if I can find the child or <laughs> or his parents or if if they're listening, please thank you, thank you so much. So it was um, an anonymous donation. Yes, it was an anonymous <laughs> donation. <laughs> yes, it was an anonymous donation. So um, that gift was very special to me. And I, I've shared that with other people because, you know, to know that a kid would come up with, with that dollar and some change, and that was all that little child had mm-hmm. at that point in time, to give, surely, as mm-hmm. an adult, you have something that you can contribute. Yeah. One, of, one of your running commentaries is about giving as activism. Mm-hmm. Explain what you mean by that. Um, that came as a result of a lot of conversations um, that I've had throughout my career with hearing why people give. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things, I'm, I'm one of those fundraisers, and I, I think that this is a skill that every fundraiser should have, is I listen, and I listen uh-huh. intently. Uh-huh. Because that's where you find the nuggets. That's where you uh-huh. find the stories. And that's where you can ensure that that person's gift is meaningful. Uh-huh. Um, and you can really get to the heart of making that contribution effective, as effective as possible when you when you listen to why that person is motivated to give. So giving is activism. Um, you know, a lot of people feel that you can make a difference in certain sectors. So if you are in the, the government sector, mm-hmm. um, you, you make a difference through politics or your political engagement. Uh, if you work in corporate or in the business sector, you make a difference by adding to the bottom line. You make mm-hmm. a difference in your productivity. Um, there's certain, a certain amount of power that can be leveraged from the corporate sector. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get to the nonprofit sector, usually the onus of making a difference is on the recipient of the gift. So mm-hmm. you make a gift to a nonprofit and you expect for them to achieve whatever goal it is that right. they achieve. Right. Well, I think that the donor should be more engaged in that conversation mm-hmm. and in that process. I think that when you give, um, you're making a very tangible statement as to what you believe in and mm-hmm. what what change you want to see in society. Um, we've seen where 
contra- financial contributions or charitable contributions contributions have made a difference in political campaigns. Uh-huh. Um, they've changed the the face of impoverished communities. They've uh-huh. provided resources for families that need them, and that was done in the nonprofit space. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I think is. I think it's really, I think a good example is Obama's first campaign. Right. Because, I mean, that money came from, I always, I, always, I always like to say those dollars came from the heart. Exactly. Because so many people were so excited and right. they, they, they shared in his vision. Right. And when you look at that campaign, a lot of it was built on the idea of change. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that was the first time I had ever donated to a political campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. First time. And yeah. what you were doing with that donation was saying, I want change. Mm-hmm. And look at what happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, when you, yes, being politically engaged, and, and that's one space where, in particular, giving is a form of, an, of activism, and it's mm-hmm. very closely tied to it. So, yes, we want people to go out and vote and be active in the political mm-hmm. process, but I would argue that it makes a, a significant impact or a more significant impact if you go out and give financially. Mm-hmm. Um, make a donation to the things that you care most about because it takes money for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that um, with a lot of nonprofit organizations, they are in a position to use the work that they do to inform policy. Mm-hmm. So organizations that are involved in research, Um, you know, things like cancer research, for instance, Um, they've been doing this work for a long time. They've been doing this research so they can go to government agencies. And sometimes the government and and corporate will look to them as experts because Mm -hmm. they have the research. Well, if you care about cancer research, then that's the ideal place to put your money where you know that um, other agendas won't necessarily Mm -hmm. interfere Mm -hmm. with it. So if you care about something, I I say that you should support it financially through charitable giving. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, when we talk about charitable giving and philanthropy, that volunteerism is a huge piece that often goes under-recognized. Yeah, time is money. Time is money. Yeah. yeah. And expertise is money. So for agencies like my own, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a host of volunteers who fill some critical roles within the organization, things, um, needs that we may have uh, to ensure that we we have adequate information technology systems, things Mm -hmm. like that. People donate their time and they are experts in their field Mm -hmm. and they come out and they say, this is how I can help. And their volunteer time has a financial value, depending mm-hmm. on what the, mm-hmm. the skill is. You know, how much do you pay your IT guy at your company? Mm-hmm. And this guy is coming in and volunteering 20 hours a week. But, but it's important for both sides to understand that. Because right. sometimes the volunteer doesn't understand how valuable the time is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in that spot before. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's valuable. Um, and... As of late, and, and this happens on a lot of grant applications, they want to know what what does your volunteer base look like? What do they do? Um, yeah. How are they involved? I've seen some grant applications request that you apply a dollar value uh-huh. to your volunteer uh-huh. base. Um, some organizations, and I, I would recommend this for, for everyone if, if you're a nonprofit that is not doing this, count your volunteer hours in your budgeting uh-huh. because that can help relieve a budget cost that you have um, 
in, in your staffing, mm-hmm. and that can help to make sure that your organization is running if you have an official way to account for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting back to the to the activism piece, uh, volunteerism, charitable giving, it shows what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. It shows that you are willing to kind of put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Um, And it gives you a space at the table. Um, And one of the reasons I say this is because um, working in spaces where I've I've engaged with donors who are very wealthy, a lot of times they have these they have events and Uh giving societies Uh and things like that. So, you know, they they the organization will invite their lead donors to these events. Well, that's, that's social capital, honestly. Um, That's, that's a way to build your social capital. And, and people oftentimes think that, you know, I should give just for the sake of giving because I want to do some good in the community. But um, I really do support giving with a a more strategic focus Uh and, and thinking about what are the long-term implications of of what I give and how I give? Uh Um, What statement is it making? Uh Uh, Giving a lot of thought to that is is really important. And that's, that's a huge thing with me in terms of giving as as a form of activism. Okay. So let's talk about the segment. Um, What do you have, what what do you envision uh, with the segment? I mean, what kinds of things do you envision people learning from the segment? What kinds of people would you like to talk to? Oh man. (laughs) This segment um, is, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, first Uh of all, um, because I have wanted to talk more about just giving in general Uh for a long time. And Uh I I do it whenever I, when I have the opportunity to, but just the process and the things that people get out of being involved in, in making charitable donations is, is amazing. I mean, uh-huh. you you get so much back when you give. And that's what I want to explore in the segment. Um I want to look at the stories, the success stories. Uh-huh. Um I want to talk about some of the challenges that organizations are having. I want to talk about and talk to donors who have grappled with different issues in their charitable giving. Uh-huh. Um all of that with a goal of really helping people to see get a more comprehensive picture of what it means when you are the recipient or a nonprofit or a fundraiser uh-huh. and what does it mean when you're a donor or when uh-huh. you're a volunteer um when you look at charitable giving and the history of it in this country you know a lot of times you hear people say philanthropy as opposed to charity right. um and that distinction is one that reflects the evolution of the practice of of giving and and social involvement um, in the nonprofit sector within this country. So charity is typically designed to address immediate needs. It's very personal. Uh, Philanthropy is something that tends to be a little bit more strategic. Well, that's something I want to explore and how that plays out within different organizations, how that plays out for different donors. Um, And I I really want to dig a little bit deeper into Uh that with the segment. And there you have it. So more to come on for our edification. This is going to be a place for you to enjoy interviews with people uh, whose identities and, and value drive their passions and their successes. 
and also the commentaries on all things identity and value. So uh, again, when you get an opportunity, by all means, please go ahead to the website, eddiefrancis.com, connect on social media. Uh, and then also when you go to the website, I do have an identity and value blog. You can check that out. If you want to sign up for a newsletter, I do have a personal branding newsletter Then you can sign up for that as well. And don't worry, I'm not going to bother you with weekly stuff because, you know, I just don't have time for it. Uh, I do encourage, though, whenever you hear something that you like, rate the podcast and write to me. Let me know. And hey, even if you think it needs a little work, write to me. Just be kind. okay? when you do that and share with friends, by all means. Thank you very much for downloading for our edification.